Red Sox fans, here are the Bastards of Boston Baseball. Welcome everyone, the Bastards are back for this midweek edition of the podcast. We are downloaded in over 30 countries across the globe and available on every major media platform. For everyone listening on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the show if you have not already. Nothing you do will help us more immensely. The Red Sox just wrapped up a three-game set against the Houston Astros, dropping the series three games to one. They are currently still in second place, two games behind the Tampa Bay Rays. Just a quick disclaimer for any first-time listeners, this is not a Homer podcast. We will call it how we see it. When the Red Sox are dominating, we will celebrate that. When they are getting destroyed, we will be critical and at times savagely blunt. If you are easily offended, hit the stop button immediately. But for those who embrace it, let's get rolling. I am Terry Cushman coming to you from Lewiston, Maine. You can harass me on Twitter at CushmanMLB. You can also find the podcast account at Bastards underscore Boston. Co-hosting with me tonight from the mile-high city of Denver by way of Quincy, Massachusetts, Andrew Dwan. Andrew, how are you? Doing well. Bruins just wrapped it up. That was nice. Got us to uh, start our podcast a little bit earlier than last week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a nightmare start last week, uh, right around midnight, I think. That was uh, brutal. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And uh, so the Bruins are up 2-1 to one now. Uh, all right, and also joining us tonight from the nation's capital by way of Newport, Rhode Island, Job Goddard. How are you, Job? Uh, I'm doing better now that Brad Marchand uh, buried that in the back of the net. So I'm also a, a Bruins fan. Um, it, it's it's good to be up in that series and sign me up for more two o'clock games on the end of the series in the middle of the week. Because starting at ten thirty and starting at at midnight is a whole different night. So. <laughs> well, I, I wouldn't see a single game if that happened. So selfishly, I gotta root for the prime time. The Yankees series coming up are all prime time games, uh, including Sunday. So the Sunday crew will have to suffer uh, a late start because theirs is always a fixed ten p.m. start when there's no uh, ESPN game. But getting kind of into the Astro series, kind of hoping for something better. You know, we we could have and maybe did see what our identity was as a possible playoff team and hoping for at least a split. All three of us on the last show thought the Red Sox could win it three games to, to one. Ended up being the opposite. Um, any thoughts on the series before we get into studs and duds? I mean, you got to tip your hat to the Astros pitchers on this one. There were three guys that the Sox had never seen before. And, <laughs> the, you know, they performed like these were three guys they had never seen before. The Astros, we all know how good their spin rate is. Um, their best chance was last night, other than obviously today. But Valdez, as I missed during the game, I didn't pick up on it, but saw today on Lou Maloney's Twitter, changed his glove in the second inning to a uh, darker glove. And then his, you know, his stuff got a little nastier and that probably uh, 
you know, aided his recovery after that 35 pitch first or whatever it was. Had some sauce in it. It had to have. I mean, <laughs> all of a sudden, you know, every single pitch was on Robson's three minutes later because they were just dipping and darting out of the way. So there was something going on. I, it, such as 2021 baseball, but yeah. Oh, I think everyone's using something. Um, but Valdez was definitely far more effective after that first inning. I think there was a lot of frustration from me after the series. I thought we were going to split the series. I didn't think we would win a series, uh, the four game set. But I, I would have liked to see us take more pitches last night after, you know, making him throw 35 in the first. I was like, oh, good. We'll get him out of there in the fourth inning. Um, and we'll go deep into this bullpen, hopefully see some of these guys twice uh, in the series. And we weren't able to do that. So a little bit of frustration on the part of, you know, on the fans' part because this team is striking out more, not walking enough, not seeing enough pitches, uh, and there's no adjustments from Cora. So a little bit of frustration from me. Yeah, before we do get into studs and duds, I have it right here. We walked a total of four times in the first three games. So, not, not... And we're 29th in the American League in walks. Uh, 29th in the league in walks. Outstanding. That's, you know, bottom three, and it's unacceptable. Yeah, just today we were better. Uh, let's see, three, four, five, six, seven walks in today's game. Seven. So, it helped that Odorizzi was in there and uh, gave up three in the three innings he pitched, but... Let's well, get... his pitches also aren't darting everywhere out of the zone. You know, they're not breaking at like 60 feet, four inches and just completely dropping out of the zone because everything else that those other three starters were looking like strikes. You got to swing at them and then they end up, you know, just in the dirt, but they had no chance. It sucked. Yeah, and Oda Rizzi isn't a spin rate guy. He was brought in mm-hmm. because they thought they were losing Valdez for the season. I mean, the initial reports were that Valdez would have Tommy John, and then it wasn't. I, I not not kidding. Last show, I didn't even know he was back until I saw the probable pitchers for the series, and he had I think made one previous start or whatever. But um, but yeah, so Oda Rizzi isn't really part of that program and doesn't really have the the you know the pitching repertoire to at least for now to replicate what Valdez and Garcia do. So all right, let's get into it. Studs and duds. Andrew, you're leading off. Who is your stud for the series? Mine was Nick Pavetta. Um I think we saw his best game as a Red Sox last night and it sure as hell wasn't looking like it was going to be uh, you know, early on, but then he battled back with six strong innings, only let up two runs against, you know, a damn good lineup. I think we can all agree that's one of the top five lineups in the league. And, you know, two runs, nine Ks, and showed mental toughness throughout. And he had some swagger going on. Um, I love it. it and we're at the point where it's, you know, you expect this now. Maybe one or two games into the year, you're like, all right, well, you know, keep building on it, keep building on it. Let's see. But now it's every five days. And I can't believe that everything's come full circle now with, you know, having Workman back and Nick Pavetta and whatever we're going to have with Seabold if he gets healthy. This is, quite frankly, a revelation. If he's your number four, if you get a healthy Chris Sale, Erod gets right and – who knows 
you know, Richards, that's a good playoff rotation right there. Joe, go ahead. I I think I, I heard it best actually uh, today in the postgame show. The Red Sox rotation is seventh in the big leagues in performance um, this season so far. Uh, Pavetta's been a huge part of that. We didn't expect this from him. Uh, far from it. I think we pretty much expected him to go five, give up two to three runs, and be a little bit better than what we thought Martin Perez was last season. Um, and instead, you know, he's taking the ball, and even after giving up a lot of pitches in, in that first inning, I think he threw 32 pitches, he only gave up one run, and then he still went six innings. So I love that from him. I probably wouldn't have made him my start if it was up to me because – because we lost that game by a close margin, you'd like him to shut it down just a little bit more um, with the walks, especially in the early innings. But I'll take it every fifth day if you can give me that. That's going to be a huge boost to this this rotation going down the stretch. And going down the stretch, I'm not convinced that Chris Sale is going to be in the rotation. I've mentioned that a couple of times on the show. So for me, big performance from Pavetta, but now we need it every fifth day. I'm a little more optimistic about Sale. Apparently he was throwing sliders for the first time in his last bullpen session. So seems to be at least checking the boxes so far, but you could be right. They're not going to, they're not going to take any chances if they, if they don't think he's ready, but. Well, I look at it, Terry, and I, I see what they're doing with Garrett Whitlock, right? Where he's a year out of Tommy John and they're using him very sparingly on a lot of rest and not pushing him. I understand Chris Sale's a different animal, but if that's the approach they're taking with guys coming off Tommy John, and you look at guys across the league that have been getting hurt because they're coming back too early or have just elbow issues in general, I just don't see them rushing him back to a starting role. Um, So I don't know necessarily that we'll see him in a a starting rotation until the playoffs. So for that, we need Nick Pavetta to eat some innings, in my opinion. Well, I I think, though, with... With Whitlock, if he was coming back late July, early August, he might start because there's not going to be enough innings to to worry about it, and, and I, I think that'll be the case with Sale. But well, like I said, you know, it, it, every day, every time we turn around, someone's going on the DL. <laughs> it's Stras- Strasburg's on it now. Um, someone else just had a had a problem uh, with their side. Oh, it was the uh, Flaherty. Flaherty. Yeah, Jack Flaherty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so one after another, they're all going on the DL. So IL. I, I'm, I'm never gonna, never gonna get that right. But yeah. So anyway, getting back to Pavetta though, I put that loss on the offense. I mean, it was a pathetic showing, and I know we're up against tough pitching, but some of the at bats were terrible. We'll get into some of the the hitting in a little bit, actually. But Pavetta, obviously, he faced seven batters in the first inning. Wasn't pretty. And he hit Jordan Alvarez with a pitch, and that's what loaded the bases. And uh, then there was a sack fly that brought in the run. And luckily, another ball was hit to Verdugo, and it wasn't deep enough to bring the runner home. And then he finally got out of the inning. But after that first inning, he only gave up one hit, a double in the fourth inning by Kyle Tucker, who had a very good series, by the way. So, I mean, this is it. You know, this is it. Like, I can't 
I can't hold anything against Pavetta at this point. I mean, this this is one of the better offense offenses he'll face. I think the Astros' offense is better than than the Yankees' offense now that they're healthy, regardless of what the stats currently show. I'm I'm going to be more afraid of the Astros than the Yankees going forward. And I was impressed. I was impressed. So not not much you can you can hold against him. And he's getting eight, nine strikeouts every time out, too. So Well, I mean his off speed stuff is just dominant. Yeah. Just absolutely dominant. Yeah, I mean he's he's the ace of the staff, I would say. I, I think we'll we'll get into another guy who can kind of make a case in the last five or six guys out. But yeah. So I guess with that, go ahead, make that case, Joe. <laughs> Uh, so my stud for the series is Martin Perez. Everybody who listens to the show on a regular basis knows he's my favorite Sox player uh, and has been for a while. Went seven and two-thirds today, gave up six hits, one walk. It was right before he got pulled in the eighth inning. Um, and it was to Diaz, who was the only guy tonight that he really – or today, rather, that he really had trouble with. Uh, who gave a, He gave up a single and a double uh, to Diaz. So I don't mind him being careful in that spot. Uh, he's dropped his ERA to 3.09. It's now leading the Sox. Um, and we know what we expect from him every week. It's usually six innings, and it's usually two strikeouts. This is the first time a Red Sox pitcher has gone into the eighth inning since 2019. Eduardo Rodriguez did it once, August 17th, 2019. So... In a stretch where we desperately need the bullpen to get some rest, he went out there and he absolutely dominated a lineup that I believe they only had one one starter sitting. And like you said, Terry, it's one of the better offenses you'll face in the American League. So Martin Perez is my stud for the series. Andrew, thoughts on Perez? I mean, hard to <clears throat> hard to ask for anything else out of him. I mean you brought him back as your five. You declined his option, told him to take a pay cut, brought him back, and now he's doing this. It, it's great. And my favorite thing about him is he's efficient, well, when he's on, and he's fast. He's a fast worker. It's not, you know, like a dice case situation where it's 30 seconds in between every pitch. And he's just bringing it right now. It, obviously, his sinker has been his best pitch and it's working and you know those can be a little on and off but I I'm so happy that he came decided to come back didn't shop himself and I, I don't know what more to say about him this is just great production for the cost I don't think there's a better bargain right now out there in the league as a starting pitcher well so you just to add on to Andrew's point there Terry before you jump in He's given up one walk in his last three appearances besides tonight's walk. So actually two walks, rather, in his last three appearances. When he doesn't walk people, he's one of the more dominant starting pitchers in the American League when you just look at the numbers. And he is Mr. Reliable. He's going to take the ball every fifth day. So to me, I just don't see how you, you can't make a case that he's the ace of the staff right now as far as reliability. Maybe not in terms of ceiling, because we know that his ceiling is probably not as high as, say, a Nick Pavetta or even an Eduardo Rodriguez when he's on. Uh, but right now, I would trust Martin Perez in a big game over anybody else on the staff, because you know what you're getting every single time. He's only given up 
more than three runs once, and it was four runs, and it was his third start of the season against the White Sox. He's given up three runs or less every time out. And today, I think he was kind of aided by the aggression of the Astros offense. They were pouncing on him early, and he was getting a lot of contact outs. I don't think he even recorded a strikeout until the fourth or fifth inning. That's he didn't, how- and he only he only struck out four at the end of the day. One quick note on strikeouts, though. He leads the American League in called strikeouts. Which is insane to me. He's got a he's got a 8.5 strikeout for nine, but he's leading in that category. <laughs> and his fastball is a 93-mile-an-hour cutter. It's not yeah. 99. It's not, you know, you'd think it would be somebody like a, a Chapman or a Matt Barnes or a starting pitcher like Giolito or Glasnow or Garrett Cole even. You know, you, you don't think of Martin Perez. He's way down the list. Uh, but that inside fastball that he has followed by the outside changeup is just a dominant one-two combo. I trust him over any pitcher on the staff. Yeah, I'm not sure how much of a strike it was, but that one against Altuve late in the game was filthy when Altuve like collapsed at the plate and was just in disbelief. Again, who knows with that zone that ump started having later in the game, but it was filthy. And if he keeps throwing that, who's – Who's giving up their their spot in the rotation? You know, it would have been like, oh, it's Perez. Now it's like, oh shit. <laughs> we, we, we really don't know. Yeah, exactly. I think it's it's going to be Erod at this rate. But um, was that the, the with the with the Altuve strikeout? Was that the curveball that he very seldom throws? Yeah, it was that yes. inside curve. Yeah, that'll be interesting Actually, to it, see it if was they the best pitch of the night from him. Yeah. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if they uh, tinker with that going forward, but I and I wasn't I wasn't knocking uh, Perez by you know the Astros aggression today. I mean he he was in a rhythm that was working for him, and and the Astros couldn't solve it. One other point: the Red Sox didn't sign him till late. Anybody could have had him before mid January. And possibly maybe a little later than that. So uh, all these teams must be kicking themselves for not paying five and a half million. (laughs) They knew he wanted to be back. I mean, they had that little bit of leverage over him. He wanted to play with Cora. He he said it. And that was one of the main reasons he signed last year, you know, before the suspension was handed down and they held it over him and they played the their cards absolutely perfectly, and I'm glad he's going out because you know if we have a normal market next year, since all these stadiums are full, he's looking at you know over ten million a year well, at he, this point. He's got an option, I think. Does he? I'm pretty sure. I'm going to be honest. I have no idea what his contract looks like. What yeah. I do know is that in his last seven starts. He's got a 1.98 ERA. Through 41 innings pitch, he's given up 34 hits. That includes today nine earned runs in seven starts. And today's in today's game, you know, two of those hits were broke were broken back broken bat flares um, late in the game. For all intents and purposes, he really doesn't give up hard contact to guys at this point. And it's important that the Red Sox have that because everybody else is health related 
history. They all have a, a, a bad health history or they're spotty and we need them to go 15 starts in order to even make it worth it. Martin Perez is going to pitch 30 starts this season. And thank God for that. Terry, you were right. This poor son of a bitch is a $6 million club option. <laughs> I, I don't <laughs> that sucks for him. And now, now I feel bad. Uh, th- this is, they've got this on three different guys. Now they have this low team option. They have Garrett Richards at, I think a shade under 10, Nine then, something like that. Yep. And then they have Hunter Renfro with three more years of arbitration. Yeah. So I, those are trade chips if they want it with Perez though. You would think it would put a lot of pressure on Erod to to get it together because you can just bring back Perez for cheap money and kind of know what mm-hmm. you're getting. And if Houck's up, we're hoping Seabold won't have any issues. We got Winkowski Sale. down in yeah, Sale will be back. Uh, so Whitlock, if they want it, yeah, absolutely. So. There's I, I this is one of the reasons I mean I I guess I haven't spoke about Perez's option but I've I've been aware of it the whole time and it's it's part of the the case that I've made since the start of the season that they're not going to bring back Eduardo Rodriguez I'm so convinced of that I'm so convinced of that but we'll see but that that'll be that'll be a, a fun debate as the season plays out you know depending on how those guys pitch, but we're going to have to have a whole episode, a whole episode on water Rodriguez as we get closer to the deadline, because well, we will. the way that he's pitching now, I don't know. They might bring him back on a prove it deal. He might take a one year deal at this point. Well, um, that's true. Again. That's true. That could happen. Uh, that scenario could happen, but I, I think a, a four or five year deal is, is a little more far fetched based on what we have in the pipeline, especially with Whitlock, who I always forget about. My stud for the series had a hit in every game he played. Uh, He did not play game two, and actually only a pinch hit in game one. But that's Christian Arroyo, four for nine on the series. Kind of took the pressure off of Perez today uh, pretty early in the game by hitting that three-run bomb off of Jake Odorizzi. And... It's nice to see that's his first home run of the season. And when you're looking at other guys scuffling, Marwin Gonzalez, Danny Santana, arguably not off to a great start. I think his average is well under two at this point. You need one of those three guys is going to have to emerge if they don't want to get traded, DFA'd, whatever. So it's nice to see Arroyo step up. He was my breakout guy. Admittedly, I'm I'm a little frustrated by the the injuries so far, and uh, hopefully he can stay on the field. But he's not gonna he's not gonna make his case to be the everyday second baseman for the Boston Red Sox unless he does stay on the field. And we all love the intensity. We love the effort. He's very good defensively, uh, you know, in the middle infield. So I, I, and who knows how the game would have played out had that three run homer not happened. So God, I, it was a good, I thought it went further off the bat when he hit that, but what a dumb stadium. 
I would be so frustrated as a pitcher if I could let that up. That was essentially what happened the other night that put the nail in the coffin with Altuve. Both of those had a less than like, I think half a percentage of a batting batting point of being a hit. And they both, you know, were home runs that changed the game, but I'm happy. Um, He's had a string of bad luck. You don't get hit in the hand in the same place on back-to-back nights without just being absolutely snake bitten. So I'm happy to see Arroyo just kind of emerge. Injuries have been what's been holding him back. So if he can take the second base job and take it, you know, five out of the seven games, we do know like that Cora likes to work his guys around, keep them fresh. But I, I really do hope that Arroyo ends up forcing his hand to become the semi-regular starter there. Cause I think that back in play, he, you know, you don't become a top prospect in this game without having the pedigree. Joe. Well, Terry, how long have you been waiting to say Arroyo's my stud? It's got to <laughs> be what now? Like almost a year. But anyway, um, I, I love what he did in this series. Every single at bat, even those where, you know, he made a loud out, were good at bats. He put the ball in play a lot. Uh, he sees a lot of pitches well out of the, the pitcher's hand, you can tell, because he's taken a lot of close balls um, in this series. And then he gets aggressive when he sees his pitch. It's a lot of what we saw from Michael Chavis in the first six weeks of his big league career. Now, there might be a hole in his swing that they turn you know turn around and exploit uh, at some point. If he does play five out of every seven games, pitchers might get a better book on him. But for right now, he's hitting 280. He plays great defense at second base. Uh, he's got soft hands. He doesn't make a lot of errors. And on top of that, he gives you so much hustle. Uh, I would love to see him in the lineup more often. I think he would be a good leadoff hitter for this team in a spot where Kike Hernandez has not been ideal uh, at the moment because he puts the ball in play a lot and he sees a lot of pitches. Um, and as far as the home run today goes, I struggle to credit him with a home run because that's a home run in exactly one of 30 major league ballparks. Um, only the one that we played in today. Uh, and it might graze the monster at home, but uh, either way it changed the game. It would have scored runs anyway. And uh, without that, I think Martin Perez probably walks a couple of hitters, um, feels a little bit more pressure and you're looking at a whole different series if he gets swept. So uh, I was very happy with Christian Arroyo in this series and I want to see more of him. And just to illustrate the injuries here, uh, Arroyo's already had 81 at-bats this season after even missing some time. This is the second most he's ever had in a season. So his rookie year in in San Francisco, he had 125. So, um, And his slash line isn't bad. You know, 284, 333 on base, and uh, his slugging is down 383, but this is his first home run. So that, that'll come up if, if he can stay on the field. So uh, hopefully, ho- hopefully it continues. Cause we, we got a lot of problems uh, elsewhere in the lineup as we'll get to some honorable mentions. Alex Verdugo four for 14 uh, drew a couple of walks on top of that had an RBI in the first game, but that was a blowout. So kind of meaningless, but uh, Hunter Renfro also had a hit in every game, was 5 for 13 on the series. Uh, drove in runs in two out of the four games. Uh, 
Garrett Richards had another adventurous six-inning uh, outing. I'm just going to call him a tightrope specialist because he gets into some jams but gets out of them every time. In the third inning, he was he was one ball away from having the bases loaded, no outs, but then gets a double play off of uh, Carlos Correa and then a ground out in the next at-bat by Bregman. Got out of the jam. He wasn't so lucky the inning after he um, walked two straight. Alvarez, no, excuse me, he gave up a double, leadoff double to Alvarez and then walked Guriel. And uh, Kyle Tucker was able to move the runners over. McCormick had a sack fly, so one more run came in. But I'm going to also put that on the offense regardless because it was another putrid game in which only one run was scored. And um, a solid outing where Richards gave us a chance to win. It didn't happen. And um, some decent bullpen outings. Uh, Darwin's in had a a nice one-inning outing, uh, clean inning basically. Uh, Didn't give up a hit or a walk. uh, Struck out one. So any thoughts on the honorable mentions? Renfro continues to impress. His defense has been great. Had another kind of weird outfield assist, but it was an outfield assist nonetheless. Uh, He's over uh, one war at this point of the season, which, you know, you didn't really expect to see. And he's proven invaluable. He's literally been the offense out of the 7-8-9 hole on the season. I, I think, you know, he's got to play every day. Before it was maybe he platoons, we figure out Duran. No, I, I don't see any situation unless he's in the midst of a huge struggle that you're taking this guy out of the lineup. You know, there's absolutely no reason to take him out of the lineup at this point. Over his last month, he's his average is 296, his on-base is 321, his slugging is 546. Now, if you narrow that down to his last 15 games, 327, 375, 615, and his last seven games, he's hitting 522 with 560 OPP and 1,043 slugging. We're not going to see that guy. But if we can see the, the 290 average that we're putting up and we have that lineup gets one position deeper, and then you put Christian Arroyo in for a Marwin Gonzalez, um, then you're looking at a lineup that's seven, maybe eight spots deep. Uh, in certain spots, and then it really doesn't hurt when, uh, you know, Bobby Dahlbeck or uh, insert bench bat that really can't hit Santana um, strikes out four times in a game. It doesn't hurt as much if, if everyone else in the lineup is putting up numbers. Hunter Renfro has been fantastic. He was almost my dud for this series, but I, I just think you got to play him every day. Andrew's right. I just wish... Hunter Renfro wasn't carrying the team <laughs> because, you know, that's he's been the best hitter the last couple of weeks at least. So um, there's no other viable option. And like Job, I don't think this is sustainable, but we'll, we'll no, take what I we can get. No, screenshot it now. Absolutely screenshot it now. He's hitting 261. <laughs> he, that's as high as it's probably going to get. 
this year. <laughs> I mean, I was I would have been happy with 235, 240, but Jesus, 261 at this point, that's that's more than anyone can ask for. Well, I mean, my, my favorite part about this whole stretch, and I'm looking at his last 30 games, so admittedly not the whole season, uh, not even his hottest stretch, but he struck out 26 times in his last 108 at-bats. 14 strikeouts in his last 52 at-bats. He's just not striking out at a rate we're seeing from everybody else in the in the lineup. And Cora has stressed it. Cora pretty much has said it multiple times. If you put the bat on the ball, you're going to be in the lineup. So I expect to see him every day going forward unless there's a really bad matchup or Cora wants to rest somebody. And there's really no viable options regardless. So um, so he, he will be playing every day. Uh, getting over to the duds side of the spectrum, Andrew, who's your dud? <sighs> Unfortunately, it's Raphael Devers, who has lost the ability to hit a fastball, and it's the most damning thing I've ever seen in my life. Today, on his double, that was the 50th straight fastball he saw, and that was his first hit off of it. He has been very bad. Uh, there's no reason to throw him anything off speed. I think Oda Rizzi might have thrown him a changeup at one point this game because I Eck was like, oh, there's a changeup. I was like, why the hell would you throw this guy a changeup right now? Luckily, you know, this hasn't sank his season uh, statistically, but it's alarming. Uh, to say the least, Hires came out today. He was asked about it, said, you know, he's trying to do too much. He is trying to launch these balls 650 feet. I, I, we all can see it. He's swinging from his heels. But uh, give me double Devers back. That's all we need. Just you, just line it into left center on balls away. Pull him into the gap in right center or down the line in right when the ball's inside. I don't need 40 home runs out of him. I, I just don't. I'd be willing to give him the same, you know, very large contract if he hit 50 doubles, you know, as opposed to 50 home runs. I would be willing to pay him the same amount of money. I don't need him to try to be – this showstopper, you know, batting practice esque home run hitter. And I wish he would adjust a little bit, cut his swing down, because we can't have these guys all, you know, three through five struggling at the same time. It's not sustainable. You get serious like we saw, you know, the past four days. Andrew, would it surprise you to know what Rafael Devers' stats are over the last seven games? I would say he probably has two hits. He's eight for twenty-five. Oh, okay, that's more hits than I thought he did. Three twenty. Really? Part is he has ten strikeouts in his last twenty-five at bats. Hmm. So that's the alarming part. But actually, he's hitting three twenty. He's taking two walks, three seventy OBP. So the the numbers don't bear out as much what the eye test says, but the eye test says you're absolutely right. What was he this series, though? I feel like this series, they exploited all of his weaknesses. So, yeah, the first three games of the series, I don't think he He was hitless, right? Oh, yeah. Um, First two games, uh, he was hitless. He had one last night? He 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 had a couple last night, right? Unless I wrote it wrong. Yeah, he was two for four, I think, and then one for three today. 
But in the, in those first two games, you're absolutely right. The high fastball was eating him alive, and it was almost like his eyes were getting too big for the ball. You know, he's he sees mm-hmm. the ball coming in, and he's like, "Oh, I'm gonna hit this one 500." And then he's late catching up to it, and he either fouls it into the dirt or misses it completely. Um, to me, it's it's got a little bit of scary. It's a little scary to me because to me it reminds me a little bit of what happened to Michael Chavis, uh, where they pound him with the up, uh, the upstairs fastball. And he wants to hit it 500, and he puts too much pressure on himself, and he strikes out a lot. Obviously, Rafael Devers is a whole different tier of player, different tier of hitter uh, than Michael Chavis, and he won't do that all season. But we need more from Rafael Devers, and it's apparent when other guys in the lineup aren't doing well. We just need him to put the ball in play a little bit more. You know, 10 for 25 in terms of strikeouts is not good. We don't we don't want to deal with that. So you're absolutely right, Andrew. He needs to do a little bit better. I think I said in the last show when you're when you're talking about him swinging for the fences all the time, swinging from his heels like Andrew just said, that's what Ben Benintendi did. He tried to increase his home runs to increase his value as a player for when free agency came up. And I've noticed that with Devers. He's been very erratic with his swings. And another stat, I mean, this is what makes the fastball thing – so stunning. Devers is tied for second right now with Nolan Arenado for doubles in MLB, and he's only one behind Adam Frazier. If Devers hits two doubles tomorrow, he's the the doubles leader. So it's just crazy to me that this didn't get exposed until this series, and I think that speaks to Houston's pitching program that they were aware of this somehow. I agree with you, Terry. I think it speaks a lot to their data management. Um, but I also think it speaks a lot to the confidence of the pitching staff. A lot of pitching staff probably know the weakness of Rafael Devers is the upstairs fastball. But a lot of pitching staffs probably also know if you're not ex- if it's not exactly where you want to put it, then it is going 500. If it's an inch low, then he's going to put it in the upper deck. So I think a lot of teams, you know, they play to – their strengths rather than his weakness because they know if they make a mistake, then they're going to pay for it. And Houston didn't do that. They went out there and they did exactly what they needed to do to get him out. So I don't know if a lot of teams will do that, but I expect him to make some tweaks. He had six strikeouts in seven at bats in the first two games. So they, and then that's when the light bulb went off. Oh my God, he can't, he can't catch up to it. And then just today, his one strikeout today, he couldn't catch up to two ninety-four mile an hour fastballs. <laughs> Those were just he was late on them and and whiffed. Well, you know, he wasn't the only guy either, though. You know, a lot of the hitters today were late on the fastball, and I and a lot of the hitters in this series were late on the fastball. And I wonder if maybe Houston's doing something with the ball and their spin rate that makes it that if you're not sitting on the slider or on the curveball. You're absolutely not going to hit it. We saw Xander Bogart sit on the curveball today to get his hit, break out of his slump, uh, and he fouled off a couple of pitches that were 92, 93, and he was late on those. Maybe Red Sox hitters were just sitting off speed the entire first half of this series. On that, I swear to God, I had the same thought because on the it was I think a three-one pitch to uh, Dahlbeck today. He swung ugly on an inside pitch and Eck was shitting on him, but it was like he was clearly expecting the ball to tail six inches over the plate and look like an idiot for taking a ball right down the middle. I mean, 
these guys have no the they're defying physics quite frankly with what they're throwing out there the rpms on there are just absolutely absurd i don't blame them for looking like idiots so i I do think i think you're right there job i think these guys were looking and almost guessing uh on every pitch yeah, I I mean with Devers though, the data suggests he's just sitting on everything against everyone. Like he just hasn't been attacking fastballs all year, so that has to change. His first home run was off a 103 mile an hour fastball off a of Rollis Chapman. So he just needs to I don't know, anticipate what's coming a little bit better or or pitch recognition, whatever you want to call it. But, uh, yeah, so who's next, me or Job? You're next. I'm next. Oh, uh, no, actually, am I up next? I think I'm up next. Okay. Uh, we didn't talk yeah, about go, Xander Bogarts we didn't. enough. Go ahead. So Xander Bogarts is my dud for this series. Um, the numbers obviously bear that out. He was 0 for 24 going into that second-to-last at-bat uh, where he hit the double and knocked in two. He talked about it. I'm not going to get all over him because he's never in his career had a streak where he's gone hitless for seven games. He was six uh, at this point going into today. He went out and got a double. He was clearly sitting curveball uh, in that at-bat where he got his base hit. He fouled off a couple of fastballs. He's clearly working on some stuff for his swing. He talked about it in the post-game press conference. He's just not been feeling good all series, and he's been guessing. So I'm not worried about him. I think he'll bounce back. It says a lot about how good your shortstop is when he goes 0 for 24 at this point in the season and his average is still 313. So I'm not going to stress out about it, but we absolutely need better from him. And if you get two or three more hits from Xander Bogarts in this series, you probably win at least two of these four games instead of one. Yeah, I was going back and forth between Devers and – Xander for duds, you know, whole left side. And he, there's just no sugar coating. He was really bad. Uh, you know, he, he hadn't before today had a hit since May 25th, which is not going to be too helpful. Uh, luckily they were able to pull some of those games off, but he's struggling. He's, he's a good enough player and he's accountable to the point where you don't worry too much. He had a, he hopped on a post-game presser yesterday, uh, unprompted. He wasn't scheduled to speak, said he needed to be better. So you'd like to see it. Obviously this isn't going to be a long-term thing. It's Xander. He's going to hit the numbers going to be there. He's going to play fine defense. It's just a bad stretch. Unfortunately, three through five all had their bad stretch at the same time. Just baseball sometimes. I, this might not have anything to do with it, but I'm still annoyed with it. You can almost time this slump back to his days off, his two-in-a-row days off. The 25th was the Tuesday, his first game back. He had, what, one or two hits? Nothing since. So uh, it, it annoys me that core rests these guys. I, I think it can screw with their rhythm a little bit. And I'm – Xander wasn't having ugly at bats like you, you'll see with Dahlbeck swinging at stuff in the dirt two feet in front of him. Um, so I'm not, I'm, I don't think it's a long term thing either. But 
Um, get, getting into my dud because it kind of ties into it. And, and I'll, I'll get back to Xander and, and JD and Endeavors in a second with it. But Kike Hernandez, he was a dud in the last show. I think uh, Emma Houghton uh, picked him as her dud. He was, he had a bad series. And then th- this series, he comes in, he's 0 for 11. Strikeout in all three games. And it frustrates, the. it's not his fault that the Red Sox have him as the leadoff guy. It's not his fault that he's the best option. What is his fault is his, his fundamental, his fundamentally wrong mindset and how he, how he approaches his role in that position. He's always swinging for the fences. He's trying to be a power guy when all we need the leadoff guy to do is put the ball in play, put the ball in play. That's it. Just, just hit for contact. And not only we needed him to be better than his career numbers and he's worse. He's worse than his career numbers are. And everybody's pointing it out right now. Eck and O'Brien on the Nesson broadcast as the game started, they were pointing out how he had today off and they're like, yeah, it's just not working out. He's just not working out in the leadoff spot. And Cora said yesterday at the end of the game that he's got no other options. There's nothing he can do. He doesn't want to mess with Verdugo, Martinez, Bogart's endeavors. He likes two through five just like that. So what are the options? We've seen Santana do it. We've seen Gonzalez in that spot. And Hernandez needs to change his approach. He's not gonna he's not gonna thrive in that role in his current mindset and and i'm so tired of it yeah i mean i love i like hernandez as a player i think he's putting way too much pressure on himself uh i didn't want him the leadoff spot to begin with i thought he was a great seven hole hitter but if arroyo gets healthy and starts hitting i think there's your swap right there because i do trust kike to put the bat on the ball if he needs to put the bat on the ball. And if he has to move a guy around, you know, up a base, or if there's less than two outs and then a guy on third, knock him in with a medium depth fly ball to right center. I trust him to do that. I would like to see that change happen. I wish we weren't so, you know, locked in on having Verdugo in the two hole. Cause I love Verdugo as a leadoff hitter. But I think, you know, one more month or two to three weeks, I do think Sharon Duran might be taking that position uh, and hopefully running with it for the rest of the year, kind of like a Jacoby Ellsbury in, what was that, 2013? You think he'll go right into the one hole? I kind of think he's going to force <laughs> a spot. I do. I really do. Okay. I, I, he's I he's right. been getting praised in uh, – the Olympic trials right now. Even Todd Frazier came out the other day. He's like, Hey man, I called Mike Trout back in the day. I told you he was going to be great. I'm telling you right now, this Jaron Durant guy is going to be awesome. So I don't know. 
In, in, in Todd we trust. <laughs> I wonder if Cora knows that Duran is weeks away from making contributions to the big club, and that's why he hasn't tinkered with the top spot all that often. Because we haven't seen Geeker Hernandez hit anywhere else in the order. We've seen him get days off and other guys, you know, hit leadoff. But when he's playing, he's hitting in the leadoff spot. And I, I understand it. We talked about it, you know, in the preseason even. Where do you hit Kike? And it was like, well, I guess he's the only traditional lineup hitter you have for the leadoff spot. If Verdugo doesn't want it, Verdugo does not want it. He's said it multiple times. Uh, he's not comfortable there. And if Cora won't mess with it, I wonder if he knows, you know, that Duran is coming. But assuming he doesn't, and assuming he has to make a change with the guys you have on the roster, I mean, I think the only other option is Christian Arroyo. I look at it and say there's no other guy who I think has the approach to take a lot of pitches and put the ball in play. Um, Christian Arroyo would probably be my next man up in that spot. And he hasn't been healthy enough to where you can throw him in the leadoff spot every day and, you know, give him that opportunity. So I wonder if maybe that's the change we see first. And, and Duran, you know, maybe slides into the eight hole uh, where Dahlbeck is currently, you know, hitting comfortably. And then we see a shuffle up in maybe August, uh, give him some time to get acclimated, uh, acclimated to big league pitching. But I don't know. I, I just think Kike is pressing his... Career numbers are about 240, uh, and then, if I'm not mistaken, 299 or 300 on base. And he's slugging about the same as his career numbers. So he's pressing a little bit to try to be an impact guy, which is unlike him. When He, when he was never asked to be a, an impact guy with the Dodgers until the playoffs, where he, we obviously know he's he's got cojones, right? He goes out there and makes the big play. But... On an everyday basis, he's just not a leadoff hitter. And it's not his fault. And it's not Cora's fault either. It's, it's This team just doesn't have the option um, for anybody to hit leadoff. And the main reason is I think some of the guys that they would want to put up there just haven't been good. Like Marwin Gonzalez got a chance up there for a couple of days when Kike was hurt. He's been horrendous with the bat, things like that. There's just no other options. So in, screwed. in Kike's defense, he's actually been really good to lead off the game. It's after that he's been terrible. Um, before the series, Sox stats had it the other day. He was in three fourteen on the season as the leadoff uh, first batter of the game. I I don't know what's happening after after that, but um, that's kind of when we need it the most is after that because there always seems to be a guy on or you know. Well, I kind of feel like that's what it is, Andrew. Is the first hitter of the game. He seems to be loose no matter what's going on. Um, and we see him get hits in games where we're up by four runs and he comes up uh, in a big spot. But in the tight games, the close games, when we need him to get on in front of the big bats, he's pressing and he's either popping up or he's striking out. So to me, it's it's not his fault. It's just that he's being asked to do something that he's not built to do from an approach standpoint. And it's really messing with his game. Well, we need a guy who can get on base in front of Alex Verdugo and, and, and J.D. Martinez. So whether it's the first at-bat or the second, third, or fourth, I mean, he's just not getting it done. And 
he he's either striking out or he's flying out. He's got two extra base hits in the entire month of May. That's all that's, he had. That's misleading, though, Terry. I mean, you look at his hits. I mean, his uh, his outs rather. He's making some loud outs. A lot of his fly balls are deep center, deep right. But the, that's going right at somebody. So I don't necessarily hate that part of his game. I hate the strikeouts and the fact that he's he's pushing himself to do too much. That's fine in the seven hole. That's I I don't like it in the leadoff spot. I just want I just want him on base. Who do, who do you go to? You mentioned you, know, this, you mentioned Arroyo, and and that would be fine. He's started four or five games in the leadoff spot already, and it was kind of mixed. But he didn't. He you know he got hit in the hand and missed two three weeks. So we haven't really gotten to see what he can do over a large sample size. But he he will put together good at bats. This is a team that that this is a lineup that's just not fundamentally sound right now. And it's in the leadoff spot. It's it's Bobby Dahlbeck, who's in another painful slump. Over I think twenty one, something like that. He had an over twenty five slump prior to this. So we're gonna get into this on deep dives, which is the next episode. It'll be uh, out twenty four hours after this one, but. I'm just so done with Kike, and you see it on social media. Everybody's done. Ne- the Nesson crew is done with him. the The Red Sox can't can't hide him. They they can't. He he's just a, a glaring weakness in this lineup. As he his big league career with the Red Sox is done, uh, in my opinion. Oh, I was talking I about Kike. Ready this year, but um, supposedly, but there's just no role for Dahlbeck going forward with this organization and maybe a change of scenery will do him good. You know, I don't, I don't know. Um, Andrew's the guy who knows the farm more so than I do, but I just, with Casas coming up and the praise we've seen for him, I don't know if there's a spot for Dahlbeck long-term. You know, he's struggling and they can't continue with this if it's going to be like this, but he's, Quietly turning into one of the best defensive first basemen in the league, which I don't think anyone saw coming. Um, so if he's your late inning defensive replacement, if you can carry him like that, like we've seen Sox teams in the past, uh, carry what was it, Dave McCarthy, Doug Mankiewicz, sure, yeah, guys, like, oh, yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. When other position, I was just thinking first, but he can provide value in. You know, in that aspect, we saw an amazing diving play to keep that game what it was today. Because it was a guy in first and second that would have been second or bases loaded after that. Who knows how that game would have ended up? Uh, I mean, they might have waved the guy home. Who knows? Um, yeah. I, I agree with you, Andrew, that there's some value for him. I just, oh, big of a black hole. Uh, no, 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 no. I agree. I actually sent a tweet. Uh, I was sending it right as he made that play, and it pissed me off. So I didn't send it. So and then I sent it 10 minutes later. I think a guy like CJ Crone out here in Denver could be uh, someone that the Red Sox could target on a $1 million one-year deal. Uh, I don't even think it was a major league deal when he first signed it. Just something cheap, uh, cheap money, no no years attached. I think that's going to be their move because there's no first baseman in the minors. I don't think they're going to mess with Tristan. I think they're going to let him play, especially after losing all of last year. They're going to let him develop. Don't want to start the clock on him. Um, And 
Chavis has not hit since returning to the minors. He's been really, really terrible, especially in, and in that band box that is Worcester. Well, so I, I mean, think I, they're going to look outside the organization. I think you kind of have to. And the, the reason I say that, I think that Chavis is now done in Boston as well. And I don't know if he has another role somewhere else, but the fact that he's been bouncing back and forth and it just seems his confidence is just gone. He's got no confidence in himself to to make a stick, you know, a lasting impact with the big club. So we'll get into it, I'm sure, at some point in a deep dives episode. Um, but I just there's a there's an absolute glaring hole at first base as far as offense is concerned, and it makes me miss, miss Mitch Moreland that much more. Jonathan Arauz isn't spectacular right now in Worcester, but he w- he would have to be a better option at first base than than uh Dahlbeck. So um don't have a ton of time here for uh dishonorables. Eduardo Rodriguez, not great, four and two thirds, seven hits, six earned runs, um walk two, only struck out four. We'll uh we'll, we'll get into him. Uh, well, we can kind of get into him a little bit here in a minute because we got to get into the series preview for the Yankees, and he goes game two. Uh, let's go with game one. Uh, Red Sox go to New York. This is the first series against the Yankees this year. So as ugly as the Houston series was, we ended it on a good note. We're starting in game one with a pitcher who is on a pretty good run. Nathan Avaldi uh, came off of a five and one third inning scoreless outing. His start before that also five and one third only gave up two runs. So Avaldi's hot, and this is a team he has typically had a lot of success with. And he's going up against Michael King, who is typically a reliever. Maybe he's going to be utilized as an opener. I I don't know what their intention here is, but this should be a pretty good matchup for the Red Sox in game one. You hope so, but Evaldi has had some really bad outings in, uh, in the Bronx, but I don't know. I, I was torn this whole week on who I wanted to win, uh, between the Yankees and, Rays, and I kind of I was happy the Yankees took two at one point, but I was glad they lost today, and in a you know kind of a beatdown fashion because I think that gets them a little more down. Thinking you're catching them at a bad time, but Evaldi's got to exercise some demons here. Yeah, I was kind of with you there, Andrew. I, I wanted them to the Yankees to either win today or make it at least a closer game today. Uh, though, because I wanted them to burn some bullpen arms. And unfortunately, even with Garrett Cole not having a good day, they still didn't have to put in Chapman. They didn't have to use uh, some of those big high-leverage arms in the bullpen. So those guys should be fresh coming in here, which scares me a little bit because the Yankees can always shorten games with that bullpen. But I I think this is going to be a close series. Um, this game in particular – I want to say we're going to win it, but I don't know whether King is going to be the starter or not. Like like you said, Terry, if he's an opener and they bring in somebody else to go five innings, that scares me a little bit more than Michael King. So I'm going to say the Red Sox win game one. Well, I think it would be Chad Green to come in and uh, try. Oh, in that case, <laughs> in that case, I'm taking the Red Sox by a, a landslide. Yeah, I, 
there's just something about Evaldi, and he's only given up one home run on the year, so that might keep Judge and Stanton kind of at bay. And I think Nathan Evaldi loves the big game. He loves it. You know, we've seen it in the playoffs. We've seen it against the Yankees in the past. I'm really not too worried about him. Uh, Hopefully the Red Sox bats have some success here. Um, So I'll go for for a win in game one. Game two, though. uh, Arguably both teams' worst starters going head-to-head. Eduardo Rodriguez versus Jamison Tyon. Tyon hasn't, uh, he's gone five innings or less in his last four starts and uh, given up three plus runs and three out of his last four. So he's been getting tagged. I didn't think that would be a very good acquisition for the Yankees. They probably should have went with Musgrove if they were going to be shopping in Pittsburgh. Um, But they do have the benefit of hitting Rodriguez. So, uh, Andrew, how do you see this game going? That one I'm giving to the Yankees. Erod's does not do well. And Tyone had a bad outing last. I I don't know. It just seems like one of those guys that gives the Red Sox trouble. He just has that build, that makeup, and that stuff that the Red Sox tend to scuffle with. So if they're going to drop a game, I think that this is probably the most likely. Well, I've said it three straight shows, and I've been wrong three straight shows. I think Eduardo Rodriguez is going to put it all together here. Um, (laughs) The reason I I take the Red Sox in game two isn't so much that I have faith in the Sox in this game. It's, one, I have a a strong dislike of Tyon. I don't think he's a great pitcher. Uh, In fact, I think they're lucky that his ERA is where it is. It could have been a lot higher. Um, if you don't take him out that early. Uh, He's been getting shelled uh, by some teams. But it's mostly because I think the Yankees are looking ahead to their off day on Monday and getting the hell out of this slump that they're in. You know, they're they're looking back at a string of seven games, nine, ten, twelve games in 11 days. They're three and seven in their last ten. And they have an off day immediately after this series. I think they're looking forward to just getting the hell out of the limelight for a second and and putting themselves back together. So I just don't think that they'll bring their best in this series. I think we win game two. <laughs> Job's, Job's picking a game two win. Um, normally, if Erod's right, Yankee Stadium's one of his better places to pitch, believe it or not. He's got a 396 ERA there, and I think that went up in one of his last couple uh, appearances there. It was it was lower. So uh, Erod typically also has been a big game pitcher in the past, but th- this is a guy who just can't quite figure it out, and, and he's getting slapped a little bit. Every time he hasn't been wild at all, but he's over the plate and and very hittable. So um, I'm just going to be honest, Terry. I don't think he's going to go that deep into the game. I think this is going to be a Whitlock game, if I'm honest. And I'd love to see Erod for four, Whitlock for three, and then bring in the bullpen arms to shut him down. Because if Whitlock can shut up Yankee Stadium, nothing will make 
me happier than that, and nothing will bring the Red Sox <laughs> fanboy uh, to the floor more than that. So. Well, you, you got to have Ottavino close it out. That's the, that, <laughs> that's the other part of it. I want him to do it only if there's a several run lead, though. I don't want to. I don't want any hanky panky. The problem with the the Whitlock theory, I'd love it if it played out that way, but he doesn't get brought in with many leads lately. So, or he gets brought in, you know, when it's a blowout. So, um, not not many super high leverage uh, appearances uh, the the last few times out. And against the Astros, he he went one and two thirds, but. Uh, allowed five base runners, so wasn't the sharpest of, of his outings, but he didn't give up a run nonetheless. So he, he could be working through some things as well. But um, I'm going lost there in game two until Erod proves me wrong, and, and I hope he does. Uh, game three, uh, arguably two of the, the better pitchers on, on each staff. Garrett Richards will go against Domingo Herman, who I don't think has given up more than three runs in, in any outing. And so this could be a low-scoring game. It could be a bit of a duel compared to some of the other games in the series. Definitely the most even matchup. Uh, Andrew, how do you see this one going? The Red Sox are a family team. They love their wives. They are going to beat the crap out of Herman. And I also say this because <laughs> I love Gary Richards. So, Gary Richards, let's do it, baby. Uh, I don't know. I think Herman's a guy that they could hit, knock around. Oh, God, that's terrible phrasing right there. That they could um, that they could Score do some damage off. against. Yeah, exactly. There it is. I, I really do think they can get to him. I'm not overly worried about Herman. I think he's kind of volatile on a game to game basis. So yeah, this one, um, he, he's doing better than I thought, but I think they can absolutely hand it to him this game. Joe. Well, uh, I'm looking at Herman's numbers because Andrew's absolutely right. What he does game to game is so different. Um, he has been good of late three and one in his last, last seven starts. 237 ERA, 42 innings pitched, only 28 hits, seven walks, and 39 strikeouts. So, whatever kind of pine tar he's using, uh, or whatever rosin he's using, it's the same one as Garrett Cole, uh, and, it, and it's working. Um, I don't like this matchup for the Sox, but I, I want to like it so much because I want them to score 10 runs on this guy and really put the Yankees away. If we could sweep the Yankees here, they could go down to about five and a half, uh, six and a half, almost seven games out if, if the Rays keep winning. And that would be huge uh, for us down the stretch. So I really want to put them away here, but I think we probably drop game three. Here's what I want to happen. I want there to be drama in game one or two. I want the benches to clear. I don't care how drastic it is. But I want all eyes on this game on ESPN on Sunday night, and I want it to be the highest pressure possible situation for Richards because that's the last box he needs to check off as far as I'm concerned, besides the durability thing. But um, but th- this is it. So it's in Yankee Stadium. It's one of I, – I said Houston would be the most hostile environment he pitched in. Uh, you know, on the last show coming into that series, this one will be similar. 
And Richards has a a 2.70 ERA in his last seven starts. So he's been solid, as we've seen. He's a tightrope specialist. So uh, hopefully um, he he continues to get out of jams. And this Yankees team has had problems scoring runs and and uh, maybe he can keep them at bay. I think this will probably be a low-scoring game. So I'm going to take the Red Sox to win it. So I, I have the Red Sox winning the series two games to one. I'm calling for a sweep. Actually, I changed my mind. I'm calling for a I, sweep. I think they take three. I really, really? do. It's- <laughs> Okay. Uh, sorry, two. I, I think they take two. Okay. The three would be a sweep. Yeah, I, I think they take two. Um, I just think they're better than this Yankees team, who have not much confidence going into this series because we've seen terrible base running. The only way the Yankees are going to take more than one is if Gary Sanchez has like the series of his life, which seems to happen on uh, on occasion against this uh, Red Sox team. Well, we'll see. Um, all three of us have uh, the the Red Sox winning the series. The bad news is all three of us on the last show had us winning the uh, Astros series. So hopefully, uh, hopefully it holds up here in New York. First series of the year. Deep dives we'll have tomorrow, 24 hours after this one. And then we will be back on Sunday night to discuss what the hell did happen in New York. Talk to you then. Take care.